1: Hello, Welcome to another edition of the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I am Tom Holmes and joining me as ever is Leanne Prescott. Leanne, how are you?
0: Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Um, Good to be back again. We've got two brilliant guests on today, so lots to talk about. And as I said um, in previous weeks, the international break is a great chance for us to kind of reflect on the way the season's going so far, not just in terms of results, and points but in terms of performance in terms of what the team can look to achieve in the next five or six games and and what kind of lies ahead for this team because we're making a lot of progression and and, and just want to see where that goes now so yeah lo- lots to be excited about and again we've got two brilliant guests on today
1: yeah absolutely lots of great stuff here um so we are going to kick off with we've got two fantastic guests first of which is aeon, aeon how are you my friend
2: Very good. Thanks for having me on again, guys.
1: Yeah, it's great to have you back on. And we've got the veteran himself, Mr. Carl Coppac. Mr. Coppac, how are you? See, Leanne's
3: just said it's great to have two great guests on, but she certainly wasn't saying that five minutes ago before the show started. I'm just going to say that. Thank you. I'm fine, Tom. Good to have you on, mate. Good to have you
1: on. Um, So we'll kick off by talking about... No, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) You two just go in your own chat and squabble please <laughs> um,
0: we, yeah yeah we'll spar we'll spar all spa, pods so it's fine Carry on.
1: <laughs> so we're gonna start by talking about um your article on which is on jürgen klopp's kryptonite which you think is his own stubbornness so if you want to talk us through your article and then we will get straight into it
2: yeah not not a problem um so essentially this uh article is actually written um, just kind of after the Red Star defeat, uh, mostly because it was it was quite you know obvious that we were struggling to actually break down such a a low you know low block defense, which is you know a pretty common narrative when it comes to our particular style of play. So, um well, essentially the the, the focus was on um, you know not not signing that guy in in the summer, and that guy being you know Nabil Fekir, and you know Klopp's kind of. Um, own kind of stubbornness, if you want to put it in, in not signing alternatives when his first option is not available. So, um, you know, just going back to that red Star defeat right? right? Um, you know, obviously, obviously, Kyrie was left out because of you know political reasons, and that's completely understandable. You know, um, he would have received uh, a quite quite terrible you know reception. Um, just just watching the, the game on on TV, I could see that you know those red Star fans were quite crazy, and that was a great you know a great atmosphere for them to play in, and obviously a very hostile one for. For our guys to kind of endure, so it was really uh, very understandable that Shigiri was left out. Um, But you know um, that defeat and quite poor performance has now put us in a a quite difficult position. Having to win against Paris away, or you know even Napoli at home, um, you know could put us in real you know you know if you know either of those results don't really go our way, they put us in real danger of not qualifying for the next round. Um, and the form that, you know, City are in this season, um, you know, not saying that we, we can't win the league, but that seems like a much more difficult route to a major trophy than Champions League, uh, which we've shown we were able to, you know, progress quite far into. Um, I don't want to take anything away from Red Star, you know, they've shown that they're they're a quite good team um, at home. Uh, they were able to shout out Napoli as well uh, when they went to that stadium. Uh, but we really should be winning those kind of games if we want to be, you know, major contenders A lot of people are, you know, are talking about how we can win against the big teams and not win against the small teams you know, That that problem seems to be quite persistent um, Throughout, you know, Cops tenure, you know, throughout most local managers' tenures uh, tenure, to be honest Um I kind of get, you know, not signing, you know, a, you know, a player for one game because um, you know Shaqiri was out you know Klopp you know believes in his own ability to um you know to coach you know Shaqiri and maybe even you know navigator to fill that kind of number 10 role uh we haven't really honestly. played the you know specific number 10 in in, in you right. know a few years now um but still um you uh, uh, know we need to kind of work out ways where you know as Klopp said you know he doesn't even have enough fingers to count how many things went wrong that just can't happen if we you know want to be serious you know contenders for these titles so you know, I'm just, you know, the article, you know, was written more as a kind of a knee-jerk reaction. I don't really think Klopp is that stubborn of a person um, or coach for that matter. But, you know, we'd love, we'd love to hear your guys' opinion on you know on the issue and, you know, does this kind of, you know, inactivity, you know, leave us, you know, exposed to these kind of situations or, you know, where should we go from here?
0: I think the the only thing I'd say to that straight off the bat is that, I completely agree that it was a very poor performance and one that we maybe didn't expect Liverpool to produce in terms of that Red Star result. Because you're looking at the group and you're you're thinking, and and it's been the ethos right from the start when the group was made, that this is a very tough fixture list for Liverpool, especially in terms of Paris Saint-Germain and Napoli. And so that Red Star game was the one where you're going to pick up the points. And that was very much the case at Anfield. Liverpool were head and shoulders above their opponents and you know things were relatively easy um you know Shaqiri dominated that game the only thing I would say that I disagree with is your statement on the fact that um struggling against the smaller teams has been something we've seen throughout Klopp's tenure I think that while that was maybe applicable at the start that's something that has been addressed that's something that Klopp has definitely looked at and maybe that's why the the more pragmatic approach has come from because it's not just in terms of building a, a philosophy for the bigger teams when we're against the likes of Man City who break so well, who also become a lot more pro- pragmatic when they're against us because they know we break so well. So I think it's it's maybe a theme that we've seen a little bit less of. What I do understand what I do completely agree with is the fact that that was a dismal performance. That's something that wasn't the first time that we've seen from the Champions League, although it is still very much a kind of... a, a a one-off in terms of yes okay we've seen it away to Napoli yes we've seen it away in Belgrade but in terms of the Premier League I think we've dealt very well with uh, lower league opposition you look at that Fulham game okay there was a couple of you know decisions that could have gone differently where Liverpool may have been in a little bit of trouble but I also think that we dominated that game I think that we used our chance as well and and so I think it's a little bit unfair to say this is something that we've seen throughout Klopp's tenure in terms of struggling against the smallest teams.
3: Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. They, they put a stat up before, um, I, I take the Fulham game as well, and they put a stat up saying like he's only won 35% of his games against the bottom four. But... Um, I think that's a very harsh thing to say when you know we're unbeaten in the league and we we are improving, but um, that that's been a, a problem with Liverpool way before Jurgen Klopp's sides. I mean, if you go back to two thousand and nine, one of the reasons we didn't win the league is because we kept we drew at home to Fulham. So you know that this has been a long time, um, a, a lot a very long issue. So um, we are getting better at that, and I think that's why a lot of people are complaining about the um, you know, about the more pragmatic approach to the game. But I just don't think that's an issue at all. I'd rather win one nil. I've got no problem winning 1-0, and people are talking about, yeah, but we should be getting 6 or 7 like City are doing. We get the same amount of points. That's, um, that, that's the same thing to me, and I've got no problem with that at all. And it's very stubborn, and it is frustrating because, you know, when um, I, I for example, going back a few years, I, I always bang on about this when and, um, Sadio Mane went to Africa, and we just didn't bother replacing them, and we didn't win. We won um one game in nine in the January after he went, and because uh, he just didn't—he didn't replace him, and I thought, well, you, you've just thrown away the season by doing that. Because we were absolutely rampant during the time when he was here. This is obviously before Mo Salah. Um and that really bothered me. And um, it just he, he's, you know, even when he didn't buy Van Dyke the first time, and a lot of people are saying, well, I was one saying there are other centre backs. You know, we just can't go into centre backs thinking like Joe Gomez, who was only eighteen at the time, thinking, you know, that's it. You know, you, you, we we can buy centre backs. But of course it's different now because he's got Van Dyke and he's got Naby Keita, who was what he always wanted. He's been talking about be he, he wanted Nabi Keita for ages. And and even um Leanne's best mate, Oxlade Chamberlain, you know, he's been talking that he, he was watching him you know, as far back as Dortmund, just waiting for the time to uh you know to get him. Um So I think it's a um I, I think it is an issue, but I think it becomes more of a um it becomes more of it's less of an issue now that he's getting his squad together. This isn't Brendan Rodgers' squad anymore, and um, I think that's going to be less of an issue now. One thing I will say, um, which I completely disagree with, it, is the uh, Zernan and thing in Red Star. I have no idea why we didn't take him. I think it's a really, really cocky thing that blew up because he would have been perfect for that game. And I know it's a political thing and everything, but he's been booed before. I just don't. I just thought that was a really arrogant thing to do. We're not going to take him because we can beat him without you. Well, we didn't. What's the worst thing that could happen if we could lose? We lost it anyway. I know that's hindsight, but that's how I feel about that. I've wrestled I mean, there for quite some time.
1: I, 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 I personally think it was the right decision. Um, I think. Well, I agree. I agree. Tom, what's the point? No, because, what? Sorry. You can take this one. No, 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 you can take this one. It's fine.
0: I think, as Tom probably is going to say anyway, which come on to afterwards, because this is just a brief point, is that I think the whole point was... And okay, we you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. We can now say that Liverpool played poorly without Shakiri. Yes, Shakiri had highlighted before that game that he was going to bring the the bridge between midfield and attack, which actually we pointed out in our last podcast, we pointed out in previous podcasts to say yes, he's done a very good job since he's joined Liverpool. But I think even if we'd you know Brought Shaqiri, there was still an element of, okay, it, this is going to be so much more about politics. It's going to be so much more about off the field antics in terms of how are those fans going to react. Even at Anfield, when it was um, Liverpool Red Star, there were segments of Anfield who were filled with away fans. I don't, I don't really know how that happened. And it was only, you know, 10, 20, 30 people, but you could hear the booze on Shakiri. So if you imagine that stadium, and, you know, the fans there were brilliant. Imagine that on Shakiri. I don't think he would have been at his best. I think it would have turned into a political thing about off-the-field antics, which Klopp didn't want going into the game, which no manager would want going into the game. So I think it's it's easy for us to sit here and say, you know, OK, Klopp was saying we don't want off-the-field antics. We want to focus on the, on the play. We want to focus on the game. And actually, the performance was crap anyway. So what was the point in focusing on it? That's very easy for us to say. I don't think saying that bringing Shakiri was a, a statement of arrogance. I don't think it was a case of we're going to win it without him. I really just don't think that was the case. But, Tom, go on, follow on from me. You might completely disagree.
1: No, I was going to basically tell you, so I, I, I don't think Shakiri not going had anything to do with football at all. I think that was precisely the point. The point was this isn't a footballing decision. This is a decision that we have to make out, for reasons outside of football. And I think the other thing is, you know, we, I, I take the point about you know Fakir and the stubbornness. I I don't you know we, we we this is not a club that's in a position to say we need to be going. We need Judge Kiry to be Red Star Belgrade. We're not. We we're not. We don't need Jorg Kiry to be anyone. Let's be fair. You can say that's arrogance all you want, but we don't. We've got more than enough talent in that squad. No, and I think didn't. it's not the point though, is it? Like, just because we didn't doesn't mean we shouldn't. Need him? Do you know what well, I mean? I, I, we want a, we won a lot, lot of games.
3: side lessons. That, that's my point. I don't want to see any
1: Liverpool. Side I'm not saying. I'm not. I'm not because... saying we. That's not my point. My point was just that you can. My point was put the Shakiri thing to one side because, a, I don't think it was football reasons that made him not go in the first place, and b, we've got enough talent in that squad without him. We don't need to be, um, necessary. You know, we don't need. To, we don't need to be in a position as a club where we need Shakiri to the football matches, like i think we're getting slightly off topic here so i'll draw back in i'll draw a back in and go back to the original um sort of crux of the article with with klopp's stubbornness a is there any other sort of elements of this that you have seen um sort of come in come in i think one thing one area that a lot of people have highlighted for klopp's stubbornness is is his certainty to play certain individuals there are certain players that klopp will always bring back into the side lovren's a good example of this maybe some people will say henderson and then there was also his substitutions. So what do you make of the sort of the other side of his stubbornness, the sort of the trust in certain individuals and the way he uses his substitutes?
2: Uh, well, yeah, the, well, the, the, the main point being that, you know, the, the stubbornness kind of came from like, you know, the transfers. So as in like, you know, the kind of, yeah, I would kind of phrase it as uh, maybe, maybe patience uh, in, in terms of transfers, you know, especially with the Van Dyke thing. So we couldn't get him, you know, you know last summer. So we waited until January. Um and it turns out he was the right guy. Same thing with Navigator. We could we couldn't get him, you know, last year, so we waited a whole year to get him this time. So um yeah, I, I guess he's maybe a little more patient in, in that set in that sense. Uh um, when when it comes to players, um, you know, in terms of stubbornness, maybe that could be considered as maybe loyalty. Um, understandably, Henderson is not necessarily on paper our best midfielder. But I've mentioned this before in a previous podcast, but just, just, just the way that he's able to kind of, you know, energize the team with his, you know, tenacity, uh, in midfield, you know, you know, uh, I pointed out, you know, he made three tackles in 15 seconds against PSG, which is just quite frankly ridiculous. So, uh, you know, he might be, you know, better suited to a particular game than, you know, say, uh, might, just, just because Navi's a, you know, more well-rounded player, um, you know, Klopp might pick him to play just to kind of, you know, disrupt, uh, another team's flow. Um, and, and you know maybe we kind of we kind of see that with um, you know Wayne Alden this season as well. Um, I think he's played the most minutes out of any midfielder. Maybe Milner has as well too. Um, those guys, you know, again on paper are not the best you know in, in brackets midfielders that we have, but you know they kind of embody Klopp's philosophy. So maybe you know he is stubborn in the sense that he will pick players that he likes to fit his system, as opposed to players that might be best suited for that particular game. That's we were kind of getting at there, Tom.
1: Yeah, that was sort of what I was getting at, Carl. Um, I want to bounce off the idea of the substitutions off you. Um, I know that this is something that Adam Petrucian in particular finds very, very frustrating when Klopp um, maybe takes his time over substitutes or maybe sticks with the starting eleven too long. Are there any other elements of Klopp's stubbornness that you've sort of highlighted that kind of frustrate you sometimes?
3: Well, I wouldn't say it frustrates me because I, I like the fact that he's of his own mind and you know, and, and managers should do that. I mean, I always come back to, him, I'm, I'm, I'm even a. May not even mention it, but there was a game Liverpool had under Brendan Rodgers where he had three, um, three formations in 25 minutes, and it was a big game, and that drove me mad because it just said I don't know. So I don't mind it when someone when teams do that. I mean, he is, he is a bit. There's a game recently where he didn't bring someone on until yeah, he gave, he gave David K like 14 seconds against Fulham, and I thought, well, why have you done that? You know, we're two 0 up, we absolutely why not just give him 15 minutes because you know we're in a state we, we 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 can do this. We're so we're so dominant, and you know. Why not give him a few minutes on the pitch? There's a few things like that, but th- you, you can sort of, you know, mitigate against, against that by thinking, you know, I don't know what his fitness schedule is, so you know, things like that. If, if you've got two, um, if you've got two weeks before Liverpool play again, why not give him a few more minutes? But of course, we don't know really. There's a, there's a substitution which thing um, we mentioned on the main pod um, uh, that where me, Cam, and Trevor are going to start our own um, prog rock band called the Joel Matip Substitution Experience. Because the three of us don't understand the Joel Matip substitution in the 89th minute when we're winning, it's really strange. And he never takes off a defender; he always takes it off um, uh, he always takes off a midfielder for it. And I, I sort of quite like that because I still did not understand it. And I, I, I'm, I'm a man who watches an inordinate amount of football, and I've actually started to quite enjoy the Joel Matip substitution experience now. But, but as I, I don't mind that, to be honest, I don't really find it frustrating as such. Um... I mean, he he's, he does play his favourites, obviously. He's, he's really keen to do something with Adam Milano when the rest of the, the red world really isn't. Um, but um, I don't mind it so much. Mostly because we're unbeaten. So, <laughs> you know, you can do anything you want as far as you... As long as just go unbeaten in the league. I'm happy with that. Just just on that,
2: um, you know, Matic substitution, uh, you know, comment there that you made there, Carl. Pers- personally, for me, that is the most, you know, anxious... 90 seconds of my life in it in any in the week to be honest because as as soon as matter comes on the other team you know is perfectly aware that we're just going to shut up shop here and we're just going to you know sit back wait for you to hit the long ball and just try and win the headers yeah they're going um, to go in you know. the
3: back and they, and they want knockdowns that's exactly what it is but what, what i do understand more than anything else is you can understand that if he's like a jordan henderson character who's all action running around but joel matter is the most sleepiest man i've ever seen in my life yeah, so he's not going to take yeah, control absolutely. of a situation ever he's sort of uh he always looks around twice before he accepts the ball off anyone just to make sure that it's all right and he's not getting in anyone's way. <laughs> really, really I, strange thing.
0: Yeah. I, no, I completely agree. I think it's almost as if that substitution kind of signals to the rest of the team, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to sit back, we're just going to rest on our laurels. And and yes, that's fine to a certain degree, but it also invites pressure onto your team if you're one nil up, if you're 2 nil up. Changing that you know uh, the formation at the back, changing the dynamic of the team could actually affect things, and we've seen it in the past. Maybe less so in terms of last season and this season, but in the past, where Matip or, or Clavan has come on, we've changed um, the defensive formation, we've changed the defensive shape, and it's actually not worked out because from a corner or from a free kick or even from open play, the the communication isn't quite there because we're still adapting to a new system. So I, I have to say I'm I'm in agreement with Carl on that one.
1: My God, this is the first time for everything. I, I think it's worked <laughs> once. I think the switch to the back three worked once. And I remember it working once, because I remember sat there after the game going, it worked. How? <laughs> and like, and every Because it's only it's worked literally once in the entire of Bob's reign.
3: Left the way, it worked. I, I was at the game, and it was one of those things when he brought the substitution on, everyone, everyone just said, my God, Virgil's, Virgil's injured. Hang on, he's doing what? <laughs> <laughs> that. The entire stand was just looking at each other. We go, no, no, I don't get that at all.
1: No, he likes bringing off Trent as well, which I just think's a weird one. Why are you throwing Gomez to right back? It-
0: no, I get, I get that one. I think that that one kind of signals Trent is a very good modern fullback in terms of the he way knacket. he. He, yeah, he bombs up the flank. He he gets back. He tracks. He he does kind of a little bit of everything, and therefore he's going to get absolutely knackered because he's key to our attack, but he's also key to our defence by by the very de- definition of the fact he's in the back four. So when you bring on someone like Gomez, who maybe doesn't go forward as much in terms of in terms of that, it adds some kind of sol- solidity. I think where the problems lie is when you change from a back four to a back five or from a back. To a back three which as I said before is, is what we've seen in previous seasons when you bring on the likes of Claban and actually from a corner from whatever you see that the communications are not quite there so just again from personal perspective I can understand why he would bring on someone like Gomez the, the problem I have is when it's someone like Matip who um, I'm sure I'll mention later on is someone I've just written about in terms of actually an individual who shows our progress I think that's that's just one that kind of raises eyebrows for me.
3: Can, can I say one thing about you hate matter? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I don't. I, he, I, I an, just it's think it's an upgrade. Yeah,
0: it's an
3: upgrade. I,
0: I think he came in and people expected him him to be a certain level. And again, it's it's not his fault, which I actually mentioned. It's not his fault. It's through injuries, through whatever circumstances, he's not quite being able to make that effect. I think, again, to come back in and hone in on the article, I think what's important here is the fact that that tactical switch actually has implications in terms of communication, whereas changing Trent for Gomez, that signals, okay, yes, we're going to be more defensive, but we're keeping the same shape. So every individual still has the same job within the system.
3: Can I just make one point about Trent? Because it's something I've been noticing for a while, but it really hit me in the Fulham game. I've never seen a footballer in my life shout at himself so much. It's really funny. Honestly, if you watch it, every time a ball goes out of play, if he can't reach it, he's furious with himself and he spends a good 30 seconds just shouting at the sky. He did it loads in, in in the first half of the Fulham match. I really like that. I like it when players are angry.
1: Hey, Aon, I want to jump to the other side of the coin now and talk about maybe some of the positives of Klopp being stubborn. So, you know, as you, I think Van Dyke's a perfect solution, a perfect answer to this, where a lot of Liverpool fans were screaming and screaming and screaming about how we just needed to buy any centre-back, any centre-back will do. Go, you know, go out and find anyone for 30 million quid. But then in January, we signed Van Dyke, and he ended up being, I mean, he is the best centre-back in the league. So, you know, it was, it was the case that Klopp, you know, Klopp was right. This, this is one player who we can't compromise on. And that ended up that we only had to wait, you know, an extra three months is that something that uh, for you, you you think is a really positive step that you know Klopp is so secure in his own beliefs and often will sort of be stubborn despite whatever's going on around him
2: yeah I I, I, I just agree with exactly what you just said there that he, he believes you know that this is the right guy you know if we can't get him then you know I can make it work otherwise um you know that's 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 such a good quality to have and and, and that much it must just give so much faith to the player um, you know, how much confidence, you know, does that give to Virgil van Dijk, you know, and you say, you know what, we can't sign you now, we'll sign you later, because I'm 100% sure that you're the guy that's going to fix our defensive problems, Um and, you know, like, obviously, as, as you say, as a fan, that's, that's a little bit tough to take, Um, especially, you know, at the beginning of last season, we're starting with Lovren and Matip at, as our preferred centre-back pairing, Um, and then van Dijk comes in, and, you know, it just kind of just changes everything, you know, it lifts, lifts the, you know, the the quality of the other players, too, like, we weren't talking about Robbo and how good of a player he was at the beginning of last season. He wasn't even getting a sniff. Like Moreno was our first, first choice left back. Um, and at right back, you know, Klein was there. Yeah. He was good. Um, injury comes in Trent's now excellent. So, um, yeah, I feel like, you know, a a lot of, a lot of vindication, a lot of, um, you know, props to Klopp for you know, just being, you know, being the guy that has so much belief in himself and, you know, and now, now as a fan, when we don't sign anybody, Um, I don't have that same reaction where I'm like, you know what, let's sign anybody. I'm like, you know what, this guy knows exactly what he's doing and I'm so glad to have him as our manager because he is exactly the guy that I would choose to be in charge.
1: I think it also gives a lot of, I think it also gives a lot of, you know, security to the rest of the squad. Um, you know, I mean, you know, for Klopp to turn around and say, because I think there was a lot of people when Klopp joined, there were a lot of people going, "Yeah, we're going to make ten signings in January," and then, you know, by the time of the summer, the entire squad will be overhauled. We're going to sell Lovren, we're going to sell Henderson, we're going to sell Marini, we're going to sell everyone, we're going to sell all of our rubbish players. And then Klopp just came in and went, "No, I actually really like this squad. I think we've got a lot of really good players already here, and we don't need to." You know, obviously Klopp has gone out and bought better players since. He's not he, and he has overhauled the squad slowly but surely. But he's in doing along the way, he's put a lot of faith in the players that got Liverpool you know, to that Europa League final in fifteen sixteen, and then, you know, again, the Champions League final uh, last season. So, you know, along the way, Klopp has always been sort of stoic about the fact that, you know, he only wants to sign elite players to improve this team. He's not going to go out and buy anyone just for the sake of buying. Um, Yeah, and I'll let you jump in here, Carl. Is that something that you've always liked about the manager, someone who's a, a motivator of players as much as anything else?
3: Well, I was going to say, can anyone remember who Jürgen Klopp's first signing for Liverpool was?
1: Stephen Corker.
3: Stephen Colker. So yeah, times have changed. <laughs> let's, let's just say that. Um, yeah, for me, that, that's a hindsight issue. I think more than anything else. I was screaming at Liverpool to buy a centre back because I just thought you can't go through a season with three, which is what we had at the time, and one of them was was, was Joel Matip, and, you know who you know we've all got issues with. Um, but now, oh, he's got the squad he wants. It's less of an issue for me. It, it just is. I mean, um, and you're right. When, when he first came, you know, people were talking about him replacing Liverpool with the entire Borussia Dortmund side. At the time, and he just said, "No, I quite like Jordan Knight. I want, I want to look and see what he can do," and 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 that was um and that was massive in that first season for him. And you know, we we know very nearly won the uh, Europa League because of it. But um, I think, as I keep saying, it, I think this is all about his his squad now, and now it's his squad. I sort of don't mind who he brings in and who he who he lets go because um the the the, the squad level is at a certain point now. It's like Liam was saying about um but Joel Joe Matip's not a bad player at all given given if he gets enough games he's not a bad player he's got his faults but he's not he's not a terrible centre back but it's just the fact that he's not Virgil van Dijk and you know if you've got Virgil van Dijk uh, and you're going to play which one are you going to play him or Joel Matip if Liverpool now Liverpool now at that level where we can start doing things like that and that and that um and that plus his motivation you know i, th- I think that just just looks good with, good for the future
1: yeah i thought that i at the start the... This- Season, I sort of said, there's only I think there's legitimately only one player in this squad who I don't think is top four quality. I think there's only one player in this squad who I would say is legitimately a bang average, actively terrible player, and that's Minulay. He's the only one that I would look at and go, I don't want you ever. I don't think you're good enough to play for this club. He's the only one I think. I think other than that, you can say you can you know you can say there's players in there like Lalana and Matip that can be graded on in the long run, but they're not they're not they're not yeah exactly they're not outright terrible players though. They're all they've all demonstrated over the last few years is that they are good enough to play for this club when we're playing particularly well. Um, I mean, obviously, fitness issues are an entirely separate question, but I think that, you know, I I agree with you. There is only one player in this squad at the moment, for me, that is actively not good enough to play for the club, and currently his only role is to warm the bench. So it's not as big of an issue. Um, Leanne, I'll bring you in here. Um, What's your take on this idea of of Klopp's stubbornness being a positive uh, and maybe move away from transfers? Is there any other sort of examples you can think of where Klopp's stubbornness has paid off?
0: Yeah, I mean, ju- just to actually touch on the transfers, I do think Virgil van Dijk, as, as we've said, is, is kind of the prime example of that. A lot of people are pointing to, you know, go out for someone else. And, and he stuck to his guns and actually it's, it's completely paid off. Virgil van Dijk is so well suited to our system. He's fitted in straight away. He's also improved everyone around him in terms of the goalkeeper. Joe Gomez has come on leaps and bounds and, a lot of that okay is due to his own personal development but also players like Virgil van Dijk and their influence on him cannot be understated um especially when you look at you know the likes of Trent and Robertson who are also still pretty young players
3: and he's angry Virgil van, Dijk, t- Virgil van Dijk that has that never I, smiled I think,
0: in his life I I kind of see it on both sides I yeah i mean but we smile about him so it's it's kind of all right. um but no uh, away from transfers I think it's it's a tough one because I see both sides. I do see the fact that people are annoyed about in terms of in-game tactics, not making the substitution until the 80th minute. I completely see that. But I also think there has been times, especially of late, where he has made an early substitution. He has been a bit more, you know, he's, he's kind of thinking on his feet now. He's being stubborn, maybe not in terms of the way stubborn is usually used, but he's being stubborn in terms of no, okay. my way hasn't worked. Now I'm going to do this way. And he's stubborn in that he's going to stick to that approach. He's going to see how that affects things. He's going to see how that affects the in-game play. And actually, if that comes to fruition, then he's going to utilise that. So I do think that maybe it's not the the most obvious case, but the substitutions, which used to be such a problematic issue for Liverpool, have now actually become... I wouldn't go so far to say they're a strength. I do think... You know, sometimes they're still questionable in terms of the, the minutes that, he, that they're used. But at the same time, I think he's kind of his stubbornness from before he's learned on that. And so when you're talking about stubbornness, you've also got to talk about the fact that he is learning on his feet. He's adapting. He's thinking, OK, I've tried this the past two years. It's not quite working. And now I'm going to move forward.
1: Yeah, I think that's all very good points. And I mean, I mean the substitution thing. I know what you mean. I think it has come on, but equally, I think people are just less bothered about it now because we generally have a stronger starting eleven. Like I remember games where I just got so angry because after twenty minutes, people would be saying, "Why? Where's Where's Sturridge? Where's Lallana, etc." After half an hour, why hasn't he brought on Lallana yet? Why has he brought on Sturridge yet? And then literally at half time, there was a deluge of tweets. I want to see this player on now. I want to see this player on now. And then after sixty minutes, they were like, "This is a disgrace. That he hasn't brought on this player." It was literally, I was just like, "This is all game." From literally from the second the team sheet's been announced to the second those players are brought on at the seventy fifth minute, you've been screaming that they haven't come on yet. And I think I think obviously that's disappeared because A, the quality of player is higher anyway, but also B, we're doing better. So I think it's just the case that, you know, these the substitution thing has sort of gone away because it's become less of an issue, if that makes sense. I don't I don't for what it's worth, I don't think subs are a big issue. I like the fact that Klopp basically says, Look, I've I've sent out an eleven to do a job. That's the best eleven to do that job, I'm just gonna leave them to it. But I I I find the idea of early substitutions. I think it, I, it always screams panic to me. And Klopp has always said I don't make early subs because the players tend to panic. If you bring on someone at half time or after sixty minutes when we're struggling, the players think, oh no, like he's he's brought on storage. We need like we we're in trouble here. And I, I that's an attitude that I agree with. I think you know that is one thing that I really like about Klopp that he's constantly thinking. Okay, how are the players going to feel about this rather than okay, what do the pundits think? which I think is a really, really important aspect of this game. Um, Aon, since it's your article, I'll let you finish up because I think we've covered pretty much everything. Is there anything you wanted to add before we move on to talk about Carl's article?
2: Um, no, I think, I think we've pretty much covered, covered everything. Um, you know, I'm surprised you guys had, you guys had, you had, had a lot to say about it, um, to be honest. Um, that's fine, you know, though, just... to be honest. That's just me talking <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Look, he's, look, he's talking.
3: <laughs> yeah, but I was ranting, that's different.
2: Um, yeah, so well, the, the, main, the main thing that I wanted to get across in, when, when writing this was that essentially I, I, I don't want to see you know events where we're kind of short-staffed or where we're short of ideas just because of problems which we've, which we've identified you know, in the summer transfer market, essentially.
1: I think some really, really good points there, and I think it's a really good article overall. Definitely check that out. So, Mr. Kopak, you've written about the international break and how we're bored already. do you want to take it away um yeah
3: it's uh it's it's a strange one this because i can't get on with international football um I, I, i i say in the article i'm a hypocrite because i will watch the world cup and i'll watch anything football related but international friendlies international national league um i really start to struggle about uh uh, I'm basically just not used to having a weekend without Liverpool. It's a really, really strange situation to be in. So I basically wrote a piece about what, what do people do when um, when it's taken away from them. And you know, it's, it's a very airy piece because I'm, I'm saying like, you know, I saw people in the street talking to each other, and no one was checking their phones every thirty seconds to see how other teams were getting on. Um, and it was like someone had said to me in the last you know, for the next two weeks. We're going to reintroduce friends and family to your life again rather than, you know, pouring over, writing articles, doing podcasts, you know, everything, everything geared towards Liverpool. And it's like that was taken away from me. And I I genuinely, even at my advanced years, I genuinely struggle with that scenario. Um, The second half of the article is about the people who don't feel like me, which is fine. It's a fairly valid position to take. But um, I was in a pub on Sunday and there were people genuinely leaping around about the England results. And fair enough, I live in London, so you can expect that. But um, And I just felt completely divorced from the whole thing of, I, I couldn't even, even I watched the whole game, because I was just on while, while I was, while I was sat, in the, sat in the pub with my girlfriend. And I just thought, I couldn't even name me the full England 11 at the moment. These people know everything. And that's really strange. And I know some of them are Arsenal fans. who are celebrating Harry Kane doing well. And I could never do that about anyone else's team. And I know that's just, um, that, I mean, there's a lot of people of, um, in in Liverpool who feel the same way about that. But I just, I just can't get on board with like Martin Tyler saying, you know, the results against Croatia, um, is, um, is the perfect revenge for the World Cup. Is it? You lost the World Cup semi final and the Nations League is just a glorified friendly tournament. Um, and it just made me feel, you know, so removed from the, uh, the groove of the nation as regards to national football i just don't understand it at all
1: okay so um aon i'm curious to get a sort of a completely alternative perspective on this because obviously uh, you are an australian so your sort of your take on the national side is obviously going to be completely different to ours so what do you make of it how do you find the international break to be a tedious sport i mean what's your relationship like with the australian national side and obviously you know what do you feel what do you feel about carl's overall article
2: yeah, um, I gotta say, I completely agree with Carl. I, as as you as you mentioned, I am Australian, so I, I don't uh, don't get as much joy as watching my team make a World Cup semi final um, at any stage. I mean, we did quite well in two thousand six, uh, but that's about it for me. Um, you know, we we don't we don't, we don't we don't we're not a part of Europe, so we don't have this. You know, even the the slight spectacle of the, the Nations League, we're still we're still uh, in Asia. Um, it was nice to see, you know, Tim Cahill play his last game. Uh, for socceroos, uh, over the past week, um, always great. You know, what a great forehead he has. Possibly even better than, uh, Harry Maguire's. Although I'll leave that, uh, you know, debate up for you guys, um uh, you know, to have a little discussion. Uh, but yeah, you know, as, 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 as Carl mentions in the article, it is just the longest, longest time of my life, honestly. Like, I find myself not even watching the highlights of these things. So when I'm listening to the podcasts, of, you know, the games that happen on the weekend, usually i watch the game, so I know exactly what, what the podcasters are talking about. But in these scenarios, you know, when the Nations League and everything is on, this is the first time hearing about it. So, um, you know, I, I heard someone talking about how, you know, Liverpool has made, well, sorry, England have made use of Liverpool's long-throwing throw throwing coach. I think, you know, the winner that England scored against Croatia was from a long-throwing. Um, usually that would have made me so excited, but, you know, because it's part of the Nations League, I'm just like, meh, you know, like, Liverpool's doing well. That's kind of a, a plus, but what can I really get out of this? Um, you know, Van Dijk scored, you know, the goal which secured, you know, the Dutch national team making it to the final four of the competition. Should have been, uh, you know, a big moment for a Liverpool fan, but, you know, I, I just, I'm not fussed. Um, has, has he didn't cal- did cal- win cal-
3: wrong shirt. That's the problem.
2: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's just a great moment part. wasted yeah exactly I mean if he was wearing the orange of Liverpool for last season you know that's great, but he's wearing the Dutch orange so I'm not too fussed about that. Um, yeah but as Carl as mentioned in the article the, the the one thing that I'm hoping for out of all of these you know games is that we don't have any injuries um and usually through these breaks we do pick up a few I, in in, in, in for, for the life of me I actually can't remember an international break where we haven't picked up an injury I think this is the first one. Um, in in a long time, um, and, and and that's 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 really all I can like I can say about the international break is that um, we we don't um, you know pick up any injuries. I mean, the fact that we've had three in the last three months is just so jarring. Like with the season's just you know trying to get a bit of a flow going, and then all of a sudden we have to stop. Like, is is there any reason why we can't have like one break, which is a little bit longer, maybe a three week break, um, and cut out one of these two week periods because. I just miss the Premier League so much, to be honest. It is my life. (laughs) I I,
0: think, think, sorry, I think you've hit the nail on the head completely. International football seems to all be about just uh, avoiding club injuries at the moment. And I think I saw on Twitter actually the percentage of um, injuries that have come, not just after the World Cup, but after international football as a whole, have increased dramatically. And so, especially for the, you know, the top six teams who are competing for the title, it, it, it becomes a very problematic issue, which as a fan kind of puts you off and deters you from international football. Okay, there is a, a certain magic about the likes of the World Cup, but this Nations League stuff, again, I, I completely am on board with the fact that players like Joe Gomez, they deserve the chance to play for their country. There's nothing like playing for your country. And and in a way, you know, that that's testament to, what a good start he's made to the season. But at the same time, from a fan's point of view, do I get excited by watching England? No. Do I really jump out my seat when England scored? No. OK, you know, the World Cup is an exception, but Liverpool, come rain or shine, you know, it's it's three points or it's nothing. Your your heart is on your sleeve. You're there. You're living every moment. And I I just think international football kind of fails to give that link.
3: Yeah, and that's the thing. It's really funny that like you mentioned uh, Australia because the second you said it, my first thought was, "Oh, I wonder how they're getting on." And that's more interest than I've ever had <laughs> than England, which is, you know, and I, I literally can see Wembley from my front door. I live that close to it, and um, yeah, it's just it's it's just somebody else's problem. That's the way I look at it, to be honest. I mean, it's great that f- families go to Wembley and you know, and they take their kids and you know, they get the they get behind it all and everything. I, I appreciate that, but it does make me think. You're missing out on the main deal, really. And the main deal is the, is the pain and misery of supporting a football team. Which I don't think you really get with England. Unless you uh, expect it. I, I, th-
1: I think England provide plenty of pain and misery to go around, to be but, fair. But no one surely takes it,
3: thinks this is it, we're definitely going to win something.
1: Um, yes and no. In the same way that maybe people don't convince themselves that Liverpool are going to win something. But they obviously do. I mean, I think it's an interesting one. Um,
3: but it's not a weekly what- thing, is it? That's the thing. You, you can't wait no, up it's for the, not of the weekly season thing. and suddenly go, I can't wait till we're playing Hungary in March. You know, or whatever. sort of. That's a bad example. but um, Whereas, you know, that that's what I was saying in the article about literally every single waking thought now is against Watford. Everything is based on Watford. Um, and, you, and you can't do that as an England fan. as uh, cause I've got to make two England fans. I've got to make two England fans more than their club team. And it just makes me think, well, what are you doing for the rest of the year? You're probably not having a not, very happy not life. Me, in not being obsessed with football. Not being, <laughs> yeah, not being obsessed with football. Seeing people occasionally. <laughs>
1: For what it's worth, I pers—I personally always try and always try and schedule things for international breaks. I always try and basically because I think I think Premier League can be exhausting if you try and have a social life as well, and you have to constantly think every weekend. oh, I, I want to do this with this person, but I've got to schedule it around Liverpool. And I—I mean, I personally, I obviously, I you know, I do schedule my weekends around Liverpool. That is how it goes. But this weekend coming up, for example, on Saturday, I've got to say my friend wants to watch rugby with me, and I've got to say I can only watch one. I can't watch. Because he's a South African. So he was like, oh, you come around, watch the England game and the South African game. And I'm like, well, I can't. I can only watch one of those games because I've got to watch Liverpool. And then I've got to do post-match about Liverpool. And then he's like, oh, we can go for a drink on Sunday. And I'm like, yes, but I've got to do a podcast about Liverpool. So it can be quite, quite all consuming. So I, I think occasionally it's nice to have an international break where you can just kind of almost get out of the zone and just sort of, you know, ha- let the you sort of relax a little bit and not be quite so not obsessed but like not it it is a weekend off from Liverpool in many respects um I think you've been a bit I think being a bit grouchy I think you guys have been a little bit grouchy I thought the I thought the Nations League the Nations League has been an unqualified success I think you know it it has actually managed to make international football vaguely interesting again which I think is a really (laughs) That,
3: that speaks volumes Made to make it even look vaguely interesting again—that's yeah. how bad I think it has international been. Good,
1: you know, I think it really has improved the international game. I think it's made a big difference. And yeah, yeah,
0: quite... it, it, it has. But I think you've just hit the nail on the head without meaning to. That yes, it's improved international football. But as Carl says, for you, that means it's vaguely interesting. So before it was complete nonsense and you didn't care about about it, which
1: is our point. Yeah, that's completely true. I do agree with that. But equally, I think you know, I think a lot of that is down to my. I'll be honest with you. I have been kind of ruined. I think Hodgson has ruined England for me a lot. I've, i you know, I think Hodgson is, has genuinely ruined international football for me. I, I don't even think that's an exaggeration before and before Hodgson, I was actually quite invested in the England team. And then Hodgson came along and he just ruined it for me. And I've never been able to get that magic back yet. So for me, I think it's, I think it also depends where you live. I think it's easy for us sort of as England fans who were not necessarily as invested because we've seen a lot of shit over the last 10 years or so. Whereas I think there are other countries where, you know, they they live for international football, like yeah. you know, a lot of European teams. For a lot of European teams, this is a big deal. Like I think, and you know, Perhaps. for a lot of European countries, this is a big deal. Um, I do want to mention briefly my favourite bit about the international break, which was Thomas Gronemark, who's our throwing coach, going absolutely mental on Twitter after Joe Gomez's long throw, and he was liking and retweeting so many tweets about Joe Gomez's long yeah, throw. I, I know this because I literally just tweeted. I literally just mentioned the fact that he was not, uh, that. Gomez Miss long throw and he liked my tweet <laughs> and I just checked his he was liking everything related to Joe Gomez's long throw and I just love that he's just like so supportive of Joe even though obviously it was with England not with Liverpool
3: so your favorite thing was Liverpool based
1: yeah exactly I mean don't get tripping. me wrong I'm, I'm not coming at this from a fundamentally different perspective from you and Leanne I 100% agree I watched one of the two England games over the international break so you know I, I really don't care that much about England at all and I do find, I found this international break to be a bit exhausting and a bit, I, I agree with Aon. It is, it does feel like three is too many. It's it's just too much. But the positive spin on this is that it's four months now until we get another one. I was going to say, is it
3: done now? Because I honestly don't know. It, well, I
1: suppose it must don't be. It, it have mark, yeah. qualified for something. The um, Nations League is done. There won't be any, there won't be any more Nations League stuff until the season ends. There's one more international break in March for friendlies, I believe, and that's it. Oh, okay. good.
3: And the point of that friendly is
1: uh,
3: that, that, exactly that's my problem. <laughs> if that point, that, and that's what you're talking about Hudson as well, because you normally know, the, the answer to that is why do you need a, a break then? Is because that's when you try a different formation or you do something new or you look at some other players. And Hudson only plays one formation. <laughs> he plays pragmatically, pragmatically dull, and um, that's all he's that's all he does. So he all is. Um, Friendlies just told told him nothing because he didn't change a thing anyway. Everything is based around the same sort of algorithm he, he lives his life by.
1: Yeah, I I just hate Hodgson. Like easily, I could I could go for another ten minutes on how much I hate Roy Hodgson. I think oh, he's
3: 20. A- i twenty. I'll 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 bid you all the way. This is fine. <laughs> I could do weeks on him.
1: We should do. Leanne's now panicking because I told her we'd be able to wrap this up. The and then someone had to bring up Hodgson. Lily <laughs> has like no no no. Um, sorry, Aon, I'll bring you back in here. Is there anything you wanted to add on the international breaks, and maybe um maybe not the nation? property? as I say, you come from a very different perspective on it, not living in England. But is there anything else you wanted to add based on uh, the article, or anything about the international break that we have discussed? Um, I
2: just kind of have a question uh, to ask you guys, essentially, because just just coming kind of from an outside perspective, like the reason I don't care about the Australian. Like the Socceroos is, is because we're not that great, to be honest. Like, is is that what's affecting your, um, you know, ability to care about the national team that England has been kind of locked into kind of relative mediocrity when it comes to um, the national stage over the past maybe the last twenty years? Uh, maybe if you guys were, were Spanish, you would care about the national team a little bit more. I'm, I think it goes sure. it
3: goes it goes deeper politically for me. I've, I've um, to be honest, England is is um is a southern thing. It's not it's not a Liverpool thing um it, it goes far deeper and, and i can't get on i mean this again it's political things that i mentioned in the article i can't get on with a group of fans who sing the worst national anthem i've ever heard um <laughs> and the, the croatian i did hear the croatian national anthem that was great and i just can't it's it's someone else's problem that, that's how i've always judged it so I, I don't care if they're the best team in the world it was just i think it would irritate me even more if they were
1: for me um i got to a point sort of at the start of the Euro sort of midway through the Euros 2016 was for me the kind of the point where I just reached a point of no return because I was kind of watching it and I was like this for me has ruined everything that I think football should be um, not necessarily because England were bad just the way they were bad and the way I felt about them being bad and I just kind of got to a point where I was like you know what this isn't healthy like my relationship with the England national team is just not healthy and I hate it and I hate what it makes me think about football because I got to a point where I was just sort of laughing at it and I was like "I'm I'm sat here Laughing at everyone who supports England as an England supporter, and that's just for me ruined what football's supposed to be about. You can't, so you I just can't, can't go
3: back. You can't go back to that moment, really.
1: No, I, I no, I, As I said, Hodgson just for me ruined what England was, and I think the World Cup for me was nice because I was able to enjoy it without being too invested. Um, because I had that, so I've still got, I've still got that sort of separation from it, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, I like think that if we, because I like Southgate, I do like Southgate, and I like the team, and I do think that maybe if we can sort of improve. Over the next few years I might get back into it, but for me personally, it is just the sort of a keep at arm's length kind of thing. Like it really is. Um, I just sort of I can't get invested in it at the moment. And I think that's kind of a good thing because you can kind of because I, I agree. I think I think one thing that you guys sort of hit the nail on the head was just, you know, your the number one priority for me over the last five years has been when I'm looking at an international break, did we come out injury free? That's the first priority, that's basically the only priority, and I think we're all we're all pretty much in agreement on that. Um is there anything that anyone wants to add? Otherwise, uh, Carl, I'll bring you in to go straight to plugs.
3: No, not really. Um, I'm just, i feel a lot happier now that there's no more international football for a while. It's time for the main event.
1: Anything you want to plug then, Carl? Oh, okay. Um, uh, well, I've got that
3: piece up on the Index at the moment. Um, no one's interested in my um, article for the Reprologist magazine about the history of commercial streets. But if you are, follow me on Twitter. I'm at the Sensi, and I've got two books out. Um, one is my new novel, Falling Without Landing. Um, my first one is called And What Do You Do? And they're both on Amazon as Kindle downloads, £5 each. Okie okay,
1: dokie. Okay. And Aon, is there anything you need to plug?
2: Uh, no, not, not much at all. Just um, My weekly contribution to Anfield Index. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Aon Anwell. and And
1: finally, my lovely co-host, Leanne, is there anything you need to be plugging this week?
0: Yeah, so I've actually got two articles out this week. So one is looking at progression, which I kind of touched on earlier in terms of how Liverpool have pro- progressed a lot over the last year or so and, and actually how that's embodied by the fact that players are left behind, such as Adam Lallana, such as um, Joel Matip. So I know maybe some people who are a, a big fan of Matip might take aim at that, but I think, and I do actually mention in the article, I'd like to emphasize this, Tom, before you get angry at me. I do say, you know, it's not his fault he picked up injuries, but now he's back from injuries, it's, it's very hard for him. And that's due to the progression of individuals such as Joe Gomez. Um, and along with that, I've got an article on Diva Corrigi, who I think is, is kind of in no man's land at the moment. He's come back from a, a pretty dismal loan and, and it's not really working out for him here. He needs to leave Liverpool if he's going to get back to where he was. And at the moment, his career has just been defined by that Funes Mori challenge. So that's all for me, really.
1: Wicked. Um, As for me, I've got an article coming out in the next couple of days about PSG game and how we should be looking at that PSG game as an opportunity to sort of say, oh, you don't think we're one of the best teams in Europe. You're wrong. Um, Which I I think could be really, really exciting. Um, Other than that, yep, I'm just going to plug all the usual stuff. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see all my articles on there. Tom Holmes, nineteen um i obviously do the post-match stuff so that'll be back uh, this weekend um and yeah just this show because uh, as i say every week me and leanne love doing this show we put a lot of work into it thank you to everyone behind the scenes so guy and gags and uh, and nina who will you know chip in every week to make sure we get this show running like clockwork and of course thank you to our wonderful guests uh carl and aon it's great to have you guys on and thank you so much for listening we will be back next week similar sort of time all right see you then
3: Podcast Network.